everyone, I'm Pastor Garrett. I'd like to welcome you to this online resource from Christ Lutheran Church. Uh, if you're new to Christ Lutheran Church, just encourage you to learn more about us by going to our website, which is clcscv.org. Or maybe the better way to get to know us a little bit more personally uh, would be to come to worship on a Sunday morning. Uh, we'd love to have you join with us at either 8.30 a.m. or at 10 o'clock a.m. on a Sunday morning. Uh, so with that, we hope that this Sunday sermon is a blessing and benefit to you and to whoever might be watching with you. God bless. Today's reading is John 3, 1-17. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Word of the Lord. I bring grace, peace, mercy to you from God, our Father, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, welcome to our Sunday sermon online uh, for this uh, sermon is for Holy Trinity Sunday, um, which is a church calendar event for us. It's also Memorial Day. Uh, but when it comes to the church calendar, it's something that is observed within the church, right? We come to church, we hear uh, uh, the day that it might be, uh, or the readings that have been called for for the day out of the lectionary, and that's, or we celebrate Christmas and Easter, right? Um, and, and, and it's sort of locked kind of within the church. Uh, but what I would encourage you to do is to incorporate the church calendar into your normal calendar. Uh, the reason being is because uh, what's beautiful about it is that it forces you to focus in and lean in on things that you more normally might not 
uh, be focusing on or leaning into. The church calendar is structured for you to each year work through the very work and life of Christ, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity. Uh, so as you progress through the year, you're working through his life. You're, you're seeing his, his life progress, and then we start over. And so each year is just working through the life of Christ. And in doing so, we're leaning into different things about Christ and what he's done and what he's taught. Um, and so uh, it forces you to focus on things that you might not be focusing on, such as Advent, right? Advent is a season of hope. The color is blue, uh, representing the skies to which Jesus ascended to, to where our hope sits and lies that he will come again, right? And I don't know about you, but like Advent's in basically the month of December up until Christmas, the end of November. But I don't know about you, but, but this last December and November in 2020, it was the least hopeful December that I've experienced in my life, at least. With this pandemic and masks and isolation and separation, when you turn on the TV or you flip open your computer, you'd see death counts and infection rates, just a season of no hope. And yet in the calendar, like it or not, it calls for you to rest in and focus in on the hope that we have as Christians, and that is in the coming of Christ. So we go from Advent to Christmas to Epiphany to Lent to Easter, and we just, Easter is a whole season. It's not just a Sunday. It begins that Sunday and runs all the way through Pentecost, which was the week before this week. And then we begin this brand new season. That's the thing. Holy Trinity Sunday begins a brand new season in the church. And it's the season that is sometimes called time after Pentecost, but broadly speaking, it's called ordinary time. Real interesting title, right? Ordinary time. Doesn't sound very attractive. However, you know, it's, it's not ordinary in the sense of mundane or a lack of luster or uh, without like uh, anything like, woo, exciting, I guess, ordinary. What it's getting to is that root of that word ordinary, ordo in Latin, order. It's the time and it's a time and season of the church where we are ordering our lives and, 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 and what we're doing in Christ. It's a season where we focus in on the truth of Christ that it, and so that it forms and shapes us into his image, into who he is, into his sonship. It's a, the color is green, all right? Green suggesting life and growth in Christ as we set what is right uh, in its right place. We order it. We put what is most important at its proper place. And in the season where we are ordering things, what is most important begins it all. And that is God, the Trinity. Holy Trinity Sunday begins ordinary time as we are setting our priorities straight. It's getting to the question of who is God and what's he like, what's he about? And see, that's the thing that gets us to our text today. Because I think that question, who is God, what's he like, this is sort of at the center of this exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus. So when we look at the passage, um, one, immediately this passage is, 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 has all of these different connotations, or you can even say has some baggage to it for us today in the sense that uh, born again, right? Being born again. 
Uh, in our culture, uh, in the 21st century, 20th century, um, born again is a category of Christians, in America at least. Uh, and and that's not, I'm not really going to go to that today. I'm not really going to get into all of the debate about that. And mostly the reason being why I'm not is because I couldn't help but get past just the first few verses. <laughs> the beginning of this exchange, it's really odd and interesting, I think. One, it, it starts off with Nicodemus, this Pharisee, coming to Jesus at night. And see, in the Gospel of John, there is this contrast between light and darkness all the way through. It begins in chapter one, it, where the prologue, it sets out the whole book. It tells us of this contrast between light and dark and that Christ came, the light, Christ, the word of God, the light came into the darkness and the darkness does not overwhelm it. And so Nicodemus, he's coming, in the, he's coming at night into the darkness and is suggesting this lack of understanding, this lack of acknowledgement, this inability to kind of see who Jesus is uh, for who he really is. So that's the first, that's the first thing setting us up here. Uh, but the thing is, is Nicodemus, you know, when it comes to this question of who is God, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He has a lot to say about who God is, who this God is. But the thing is, is, is there's, when we get to the very beginning of their exchange, uh, it's, it's odd. It's really, in, and it's interesting. And I think it gets us to uh, that deep question of who is God. Because if you notice, if you look at it, and if you hear the text, uh, the whole exchange begins with Nicodemus starting with just a statement. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God, for uh, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Jesus in the Gospel of John, he's turned water into wine and he's cleansed the temple, these signs. And so Nicodemus is picking up on these signs, uh, but he's like, we know you're from God. And then Jesus answers him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I don't see the question, I don't see Nicodemus ask the question, how do I see the kingdom of God? Do you? It's a really odd answer. See, right before John chapter 3, is John 2. And at the end of John 2, what John tells us about Jesus is that Jesus knows what is in mankind. He knows what's within human beings. He doesn't need verbal testimony. He doesn't need to hear what I say. He already knows what I think and say. And so for me, I think Jesus is, is one. He's already read Nicodemus. He knows what this whole encounter is about. And two, because he knows what it's about, the reason he answers a question that was never asked is because all Nicodemus sees Jesus as is what he calls him, a teacher. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. Now, Jesus was a teacher. He taught. But the problem here, I think, that sets up this answer that Jesus gives is that Jesus knows that all Nicodemus can think of Jesus as, because of, where Jesus, because of where Nicodemus is coming from, his religion, all Nicodemus can do is think of Jesus as a teacher. And the thing is is, 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 is as a Pharisee, like I said kind of in the beginning of this, as a Pharisee, Nicodemus has a lot to say about who God is. And Pharisees are always beaten up by Christians today, right? Because when you read the Gospels, they're usually one of the main groups that are in opposition to Jesus. 
But in reality, there's a lot of Pharisees that became Christians. Paul was a Pharisee. Nicodemus, spoiler alert, eventually, uh, by all accounts, becomes a follower of Jesus. He buries Jesus. And the thing is, is even though we beat them up today and they, they get just, we, we cast them off as just like, oh, they were the legalistic group. The thing is, is that when we, if you take a step back and you just look at the world around Jesus and you look at the cast of characters that would have surrounded him during this time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would have been closer to Jesus ideologically, intellectually, doctrinally speaking, theologically speaking. They would have been closer to Jesus than anyone else. Uh, maybe not how the doctrine was lived out, but the thought and the thinking, they would have been closer to Jesus than anyone else. And that's why I think there's so much back and forth because they're closer, not because they're far further. Because the thing is, is that Pharisees, they have the same end in mind as Jesus, broad speaking. The end in mind that both Jesus and the Pharisees, Nicodemus shares, share together, is the kingdom of God. See, Pharisees were expecting and anticipating uh, the Messiah that Yahweh promises in the Old Testament. They were looking forward to that. They were not happy with the Roman rule. They were not happy with the lack of faithfulness to Yahweh and Israel at the time. And they were anticipating and expecting the Messiah. They were expecting the kingship of God here on earth. And so was Jesus. Like this is what Jesus taught and preached. The kingdom of God is here, is near. This is what we see all of his teaching wraps up into this broad theme, the kingdom of God or heaven, depending on which uh, gospel you're in. And so they share the same end in mind, but it's how they get to these ends where they diverge and how they get to uh, uh, these, this end and why they diverge is because of the conception of God is different. Who this God is and what he's like and what he does is different. See, for the Pharisees, in order for this kingdom to come about, in order for the Messiah to come, in order for Yahweh to send his anointed one, the Pharisees taught and believed in their religion that if we follow the Mosaic law, right, we follow the laws of the Old Testament and some, the, the oral law as well, if we, if we get as close as possible to this, if we reflect and look like the people of the Old Testament, the people of God, the people of Yahweh, not just, not just would that save us, but more so, it will tip the hand. It will tip the scales. It will force God's hand. He will look down, see that we are uh, obedient, and he will act toward us. Whereas Jesus flips the whole script on this. And this, is, and this is ultimately, like that mindset is ultimately why Nicodemus at this point can only see Jesus as a teacher. He can only see Jesus as a teacher because the whole religion is all about the teaching. It's all about the instruction and it's all about following the instruction. The issue is, if you catch it in Nicodemus's beginning statement, is he doesn't know what to do with his signs. He doesn't know what to do with the work of Jesus. He turned water into wine. He went to the temple and he cleansed it and he cast out people in the name of God as if it's his, if it's his house. He doesn't know what to do with this. And so he comes to Jesus, they have this exchange and Nicodemus just does not get what Jesus is talking about. And at the very end, 
And at the very end, Jesus flips the whole script on the conception of God. He, he brings it home. He shows us where the two diverge. And it's in the verse that we all know so well. It's the verse that we see every football game, every uh, Super Bowl. You see someone with a poster board, John 3.16. It's in Twitter bios and Instagram bios all over the place. John 3.16. And 17. Which is rarely as read, but should be as read just as much. God, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now how does that flip the script? See, what I think Jesus is telling Nicodemus in this passage is Nicodemus, God actually loves the world. Like he actually loves it. You don't have to do anything for him to muster up some sort of courage and love uh, or to act lovingly toward it. He actually just inherently loves the world. So much so that regardless of the actions that you do take in your life, the good and the bad, the following the law and the not, regardless of that, he is going to act toward it. He will take a positive step forward in the sense that he has given his son to redeem it and to renew it because of all of those things that have been done wrong. The point is that God actually loves the world. That's, that's a big one right there, right? That's something I think that we as Christians need to hear more and more. It's not just uh, people outside of the faith that, 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 that need to hear that God loves the world. I think Christians struggle with this day in and day out because I know I do. God actually loves me. God actually loves the world. You know, I, I was youth director for five years here at Christ Lutheran and a few years in a, another church before I came here. Um, but when I first showed up here, uh, like two years in, I uh, pulled our youth group one night at Impact and our high school midweek ministry. I pulled them and I, I asked them to write down what is their burning question about the Bible and Christianity? Like what's the number one question that's on their hearts and minds uh, when it comes to uh, their faith, the Bible, and Christians, and Christianity, and the church. And what I was expecting going into this exercise, I was expecting to get a lot of answers about like creation, and science, and evolution. I was expecting to get some questions about sexuality, about gay marriage, um, uh, uh, about transgender, like all of those hot button issues, right? Abortion. I was expecting to get maybe some questions, some biblical questions, like what about that talking donkey in the Old Testament, right? But of the 30 kids, 31 kids that answered, that wrote out note cards, I still have them to this day. Of the 31 kids that answered, it was 17 of them, the, major, the majority of them, asked a, one similar question, not the same in its wordage, but it was the similar question. It all came down to, am I fully, really, truly forgiven? And does God truly love all of me? That was their number one question. Not all of these uh, tangential, kind of like on the peripheral sort of things. Right there in the center, it was that question. Christians need to hear and know, God actually loves this world. We're the ones that don't like it, it seems like, because we're the ones that have messed it up. And so to Nicodemus and to us, 
who have our own subtle legalism, if, we wanna, uh, 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 if we're going to be honest with ourselves at times. If I just, then maybe he'll work for me, right? The, 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 the flip of the script is that our God is a God of love inherently. And this is what brings us ultimately to this day, this Trinity Sunday, that the Trinity is bonded in and of itself in love. The very essence of our God is love. That's what's shared between these three members, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in their one divine substance essence is love. God, and, and this is the beautiful thing, that, that, that because most of us can get behind love, whether you're a Christian, an atheist, a Buddhist, whoever you are, most people today kind of get behind this notion that love has some sort of uh, uh, broad sweeping uh, point, objective sort of point to our life. But as Christians, we have the best answer as to why and, and, and where this love actually comes from. Because love requires an other. In order for there to be love, there has to be a thing to be loved and something to love. And see, before there ever was anything, before there was material in this world, in this cosmos, in the universe that we live in, this, this temple that God has created for us to, to live in and yet we've destroyed through our sin, before there was any of this, there was God in community, in relationship. And because there is a relationship, because there is a community, there is the possibility of a divine love. If God is just, mono, you know, like very modest, or I don't know if that's the right philosophical world, forget about the, the word. If, if God is just one, just one in a box, he could never be a God of love. Because before there was anything, what would he have loved? There would have been nothing for him to love. And for us, we have our God who is unified in substance and essence and yet diverse in his personhood. And it's not as complex and crazy as I think Christians make it out to be all the time. You know, I've heard plenty of sermons about the Trinity, and this is uh, not going super in depth on the Trinity by all means, I've heard sermons on the Trinity and talks about the Trinity and things like that. And you get this thing within Christianity where people go, he's three in one and that's it. Let's move on because the rest is too complex. You can't understand it. I don't think it's, it's like complex as like we make it out to be. There's uniformity and within that uniformity, there is diversity. It's what we see in the church. We are one body and yet made up of many individuals. It's what we see as a nation. We are Americans, and yet we are made up of all different stripes and different places and backgrounds, ethnicities all over the place, right? It's what we see as the basic broad sweeping identity of, of what we are as a, a creature, a human. We are all human. That is our essence. That is our substance. And yet we are individuals in our personhood. And our God is in this sense, he is unified in substance and essence. He is God. But our God is Father, Son, and Spirit in how he works and moves and shakes in this community. And the beautiful thing is, it's not an isolated community. 
right? It's not a community that's closed off like a, like a, a cult or something, right? But it's a community with an open door. And that open door is what Jesus is talking about when he talks to Nicodemus about new life, being born again. See, in Christ, living in the gospel truth of Jesus Christ and the work that he's done for you and I, taking our sin on the cross, rising again in new life, a new creation, and offering it to all of us who believe and have faith in him, That is the door into the divine community, the Holy Trinity. It is that when we are living in the sonship of Christ, we are living in the divine community. We are basking in the love of the Trinity where we are experiencing the Father and his love toward the Son. And we are responding with Christ's love to the Father. And this is all done through the power of the Spirit. We live in the Trinity. This is what eternal life is. This is what new life is, ultimately. I think that's like the the top definition there. What is eternal life? It's living in the life of the Trinity. This is what our eternity looks like. And so how do we experience it here and now? Quickly, last three things. How do we experience it here and now? One, through the word of God, right? Hopefully you saw that coming. (laughs) Through the word of God. It's through hearing his word. It's by being shaped and molded by what he says about us as his sons and daughters over against what our culture says about you or your boss says about you, your wife maybe, or your ex. It's what God says about you, that you are his and that you're a part of this family, this community. And not just that, but it confronts us in our our sinfulness as well and calls us to live in that image of Christ. Number one, it's the word of God. It's it's through reading and hearing the word. Number two, it's it's in the sacraments, the sacramental life that we, we live in in the church. Through your baptism, where you have a new identity given to you by the waters of baptism, through the word of God, working in those waters, where you are called son and daughter, where God reaches down and claims you. It's through communion. When we break the bread and and take the cup, it's when we partake in his body and his blood, we are in communion and fellowship with one another and Christians across the whole world. We're at the same table, but not just that, but we are at the table of the Lord. We're in the divine community. And number three, it is in our community and fellowship itself as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, in order to to receive this new life that Jesus talks about, we give as Jesus gave. In our church relationships and in our relationships with our loved ones, if our God is a God of love and he is the one who has created everything and we're made in his image, then we are called to live as people uh, uh, dedicated and oriented towards love and loving relationships. And all of this gets back to the beginning, which is your ordinary time. My prayer for you this ordinary time is that these things here, uh, the new life that Christ has given you in the Holy Trinity, where it is a God of love that reaches out toward us, that he's the one who moves toward us, not that we have to move toward him or get ourselves right and pretty, that this God becomes the one who orders and directs your life 
this summer, this fall, tomorrow, whenever you hear this. That is my prayer for you. And uh, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.